Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thank you so much for joining me. This week, another great one, I am interviewing Jen Ruiz. Now, Jen, she is a Puerto Rican-based traveler. Um, she set out on a goal several years ago to take 12 trips in 12 months, um, wound up taking 20 trips, and has really never looked back. Um, she put uh, her day job in, in uh, you know a law firm to the side, started traveling um, pretty much full-time, wrote several books, became an Amazon bestseller, um, it's got a, a website called Jen on a Jet Plane, and she teaches us, you know, about budget traveling, um, you know, about finding great deals, about working remotely. Um, we're going to talk about all of those things. She also has a perspective that, you know, no matter how hard I try, I can't necessarily uh, necessarily talk too much about. So I'm glad to have her. She talks about traveling as a solo female. So she does a lot of travel um, by herself. Obviously, um, she is female. That's, that's, that's the part that I can't help much with. I have traveled solo quite a bit, um, but I, I don't share that female perspective. And I think it was a really interesting one um, to talk to her about. Solo travel is a really cool thing. I think that she uh, is going to inspire a lot of people to, to maybe branch out of their comfort zone and travel um, solo, whether you're male or female or or anything in between. Um, really, really interesting conversation. I do urge you to, uh, you know, go to go to her website. Um, again, that is jenonajetplane.com. Pick up one of her, her Amazon books. Um, reach out to her. Just a, a really cool person. Uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Jen Ruiz. I have Jen Ruiz with me today. Jen, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Jackson? I'm doing very well. Yeah. So if, if we could, let's just kind of start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Obviously, you know, we know some of the end results in, in traveling and, and writing these books, but where did this travel passion start and, and what were you doing before, I guess, you, you kind of started all of this? Sure. Well, I was uh, born in Puerto Rico, raised in Philadelphia, and I went to school um, in Florida, Baltimore. And so I've always kind of moved around a lot and, and knew that I really had a passion for wanting to explore more. And I took some trips, you know, after high school, I went on a Europe trip with my mom for two weeks where we saw a bunch of the highlights and kind of the big must-sees, the Eiffel Tower, the Coliseum. And then uh, during law school, I also did a study abroad in Australia, where that was my first time really going across the world by myself and learning what it was like to travel solo. And then when I had the opportunity the year before my 30th birthday to take a challenge and really end the decade I felt on a high note, I decided to go on a 12 trips in 12 months challenge and tried to do that while employed full-time still and practicing law. I ended up surpassing my goal and taking 20 trips the year before my 30th birthday. And it was amazing. And it really led to a new career path. It made me discover that I really enjoyed traveling on my own and that I wanted to try to make a living out of it. 
Yeah. And I, I, that kind of really spoke to me when I, when I heard your, your 12 trips in 12 months thing before 30, my, that was kind of my goal too. not the exact same thing. I wanted to go to 15 countries before my 30th birthday. Um, so how many countries had you had, had you been to before, you know, this goal? I know it wasn't a country goal. It was a trip goal, but how many countries had you already been to? Um, I would probably say between five and 10 mm -hmm. uh, beforehand. And then afterwards with the goal, I think I'm up to up like 35 or more at this point. Very cool. So what, what, what I guess, what uh, classified as a trip? Was it visiting other countries or was it just, you know, even domestic travel or, or what was this trip goal? Yes. So the part of it was just to have a distraction, something that was going to take me away from the milestone birthday that was coming up and really allow me to focus my energy onto something productive and mm -hmm. that I could control versus, you know, worrying about aging like we all do. <laughs> um, and so for me, the goal was partly because trips in and of themselves, just having a trip plan uh, really give you a lot of satisfaction. It gives you something to look forward to, you know, the planning process is as much a part of the joy that you experience from having a trip as going on the trip itself. And so for me, that was part of how I was going to keep myself animated throughout the year was by constantly having another trip to look forward to. And so I classified trip as something that I felt was going to qualify as, you know, a getaway, an adventure of sorts. So yes, domestic, um, you know, trips counted. So I went to the Grand Canyon in April. That was my, my fourth big trip. And I did that with a friend and we hiked into the Grand Canyon. And that was my first time seeing the Grand Canyon. It, I've now been three times since then, um, but it's in and, and have hiked it very extensively. Um, but I really remember that and I enjoyed that. And I'm glad that I was able to do that. There was uh, the opportunity to go to Albuquerque for a friend's wedding that I, you know, counted that as a trip because while I was there, I also, it happened to be the same weekend as the International Balloon Festival. And so mm -hmm. I was able to take my first hot air balloon ride. And oh, so, wow. yeah, so things like that, just it being really memorable, something that I felt was worth looking forward to. And that was going to be something that contributed to my overall, you know, quote unquote, year of adventure. Well, I'm super jealous about the hot air balloon ride. That was actually my, because this was, I, I turned 29 in June and my mother actually bought me a hot air balloon ride because that's something I've always wanted to do. And then it continuously, continuously, continuously has gotten canceled where finally I think they just told me it's not going to happen. So I'm, I'm definitely jealous of that. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm really sorry to hear that. It does happen, but you have to try to go make sure that you're booking for the morning flights mm -hmm. because they do get canceled because of weather, wind, rain, all kinds of reasons. They're oh, very for fickle. Sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I'm learning that. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, but definitely the morning ones are less likely to get canceled than like a sunset ride. And uh -huh. um, even though it's not pleasant having to wake up that early, if you can, you know, just have a couple of days that you allow yourself, you know, grace period, you usually can get something figured out. I've been on another balloon since then. Um, so it's been... I understand definitely the, the frustrations with scheduling and, and the international balloon fiesta, you have to have that booked, you know, months ahead of time because it sells mm -hmm. out. Um, but it's, there's definitely ways that you can do it. And I think if you just give yourself like, you know, two or three days during that week where you're flexible, it, it'll happen for you. 
Yeah, and I think that's my that's my issue because I know, which we, we can talk about a little bit later, but you, you do have probably more flexibility now given that you, you remote work, but I just don't have a lot of flexibility, unfortunately. So sure. you're in, in, in that first year, in, in your first goal um, with, the, the, with the 12 months in, in, or excuse me, 12 trips in 12 months and you exceeded that goal, were you still working like full-time in an, in an office setting at that point? Yes, I was mm-hmm. in uh, Southwest Florida. Oh, wow. So did you, I mean, you just like found long weekends and stuff to go places or, or how did that work out? Yes. So a couple of things, when I knew that this was going to happen, I sat down, I looked at a calendar, I plotted all of the different vacation days, holidays, everything like that, that I had available. I made sure to check with my employee guidelines, you know, just get everything together. Um, There were a couple of things since I was working at a nonprofit versus a private firm, there were kind of more allowances. Like we had the day before Independence Day that was a Monday. So they just went ahead and gave us that Monday off. Um, And so that was very helpful, things like that, that allowed me to do like a six day trip with just taking two vacation days. Um, So just kind of playing, you know, mixing it all up wherever I could, trying to take, yes, smaller trips wherever possible. I went to Cuba for 48 hours um, and, you know, I would fly back. I cut things very close. Like I would fly back at 5 a.m. and I would be at work, you know, within four hours um, from the airport to work. And then I would just kind of go to sleep after. So it was intense, but also motivated by that adrenaline of knowing that this was like knowing that this is it, right? Like this is the last time I'm going to be 29 and this young to do crazy (laughs) things like that. Like this is times moving. So um, it really, it was intense. Yes. But I knew that it was something I was never going to get to experience again. So that made me want to keep up with it. Yeah. You're, you're stronger than me. I'll tell you, I like when I went to Europe, almost every time it's been like a a overnight flight. And then, you know, you, you just, you get there at 8 a.m. when it's, you know, it feels like 2 a.m. to you. And I've just always stayed up and kind of been up for two days. That's not a problem because you're seeing all these cool things. But the other way around, I tried to do the same thing and, and landed at 6 a.m. and then went to work at 8.30. It did not work. I had to just, at lunch, I just went home for the day. It was, it was awful. So you, apparently you, are, uh, you got a little bit more staying power than I do. Oh, I completely understand. And I have been there as well. So I, and now when I travel, it is something where I do give myself a day and I bookend each end of the trip with an accommodation day to just get back into the swing of things before I schedule anything or anything like that, because it does take a toll on you. And it is, you know, you need some time to recover and some time to ease back into it. And it's tough to go straight from the plane, you know, into, into work and you're not going to be mentally as sharp as you would be otherwise. So for me, it was something where I also, you know, kind of planned for that accordingly, knowing that when I came back, I wanted it to be an easy day. So I would make sure that I was just kind of catching up on emails, you know, going through any kind of letters I received while I was gone, but I would really plan my schedule very carefully so that I didn't have any big things coming like right immediately when I was coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I, I read that you you're not really huge on on planning your trips out if I if I remember correctly. So what does I mean what what was your goals in in these trips and the trips that you're you're still taking? I mean I know me I and that's probably my problem. That's why it didn't work out so well for me when I came back because you know people that have taken trips with me obviously the joke is that you've got to 
you know, take a vacation from a vacation that, that you went on with Jackson. So I, I like to, to just pack as many things in as possible. I know that's not what a lot of people do. So what is your travel style? Oh, I like that as well. I think if you, it really depends on the person and the time. So if it's something where I do have a short period of time, I will try to see as many highlights as possible. I am good about planning, like getting tickets ahead of time so that I'm not wasting time in lines when I get there, um, especially for like big European attractions, the main ones that everybody wants to see. Um, I don't want to get there and risk that tickets are sold out, things like that. So I do try to book in advance where possible, especially when I'm in a time crunch and I know I only have, you know, a certain number of hours in a certain city. I don't want to waste any of that time. But normally I do like to kind of just have a list of highlights that I want to hit. And I also want to try to find off the beaten path activities, you know, things that are a little bit more culturally involved um, so that I can get more of a sense of where I am, find the quirky things. And so mm -hmm. I make a giant list of must-sees that I have based on my research. And then from there, I try to fit it into my calendar like a puzzle. So if I know that there's certain things that are only open at night or only open on certain days, I'll make a note of that. And then I'll just have a kind of a list of what it is that I want to do on those certain days generally. Yeah. So do you, do you pretty much exclusively solo travel? I do like to travel solo. I don't do so exclusively. I mean, I I will have traveled with friends before at the Grand Canyon. My first time I did have a friend that went, went with me um, in Iceland. I went with two friends. Um, that was all during that year, but I do primarily, yes, solo travel. I'd say at least 90% or more. Yeah. See, I've done, I've taken a few solo trips. I went to, to Toronto solo. And then my very last trip I took, I went to Barcelona and Lisbon by myself which we'll, we can get into the, the COVID issues, but it was right at the travel ban time. So I almost got stuck there by myself, which was not a pleasant experience. But okay. I, do wanna, I do wanna ask you a little bit about um, you know, advice you have for people who, who do potentially want to solo travel. I know it's a big step to take. It was a, a big step for me. And then also, you know, if you see differences between female solo travel and male solo travel or not? Because I, I really don't know the answer to that. Yes. Well, females are more likely to travel solo than men. Um, just statistically speaking, it has been a trend that has been on the rise. But I think generally females understand that it kind of comes as a a rite of passage and there's it's very empowering to navigate a new place on your own whereas men really like to travel for recreational purposes and um, usually do so in groups or with friends or family um, so it is common that you'll find more women traveling solo than men but I think for the men that do travel solo for the women that travel solo for anybody that travels solo um, it is for the same reason and it's because you want to really engulf yourself in your surroundings really enjoy you know know everything that there is to discover about a location so not because I think people who travel solo are they want to travel they want to see the story of the place they don't necessarily want to relax at a resort and just sit at a beach and do nothing um so they they want to you know hike and talk to the guides and they want to go and taste the local cuisine and they want to get out and see the nature and the uh, wildlife and so that I think is for everybody that travels alone because when you are alone you're more open to really fully experiencing all of those things whereas when you are with somebody you have somebody that you're talking to in your language somebody that's comfortable somebody mm -hmm. that's you know accompanying you throughout all of it and it. it 
it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just a different form of travel because you are not as in tune to your surroundings and what's happening because your, your attention is focused on that companion. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm all about traveling and, and, you know, immersing myself in the culture as much as possible. I hate just going to the same place that a thousand people went to the day before and a thousand people are going to go to the very next day. And I, I found the same thing with, with solo travel, given that you, you know, you don't have that one person to sit and talk to at, you know, at the cafe or whatever. And it, it's, it makes you kind of branch out and it makes people more interested in, in you too. I've found a lot of really cool experiences of people like inviting me to sit with them at their table and learn, you know, about them. I, I've went, you know, to out to, to bars in my, in my younger days with people who have just invited me from different things. So I, I do think solo travel provides you a lot more opportunities than a lot of people think. Yes, I agree. You're more apt to get invited and, and kind of get a, 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 like acclimate, not like absorbed, I would say into their culture when it's just you and not that it can't happen with friends, but I mean, it's just people want you to feel welcome and they want you to feel like you have really learned about their culture. So when they see you there, they kind of in, instinctively welcome you in and want to, you know, invite you places. And it's a little bit harder of an invitation to get when they see that you're already with somebody, they assume you have plans, things like that. Awesome. Um, so I agree completely. Yeah. And I don't know why when, when you told me that, that, uh, you know, females are more likely to, to travel solo, that it shocked me because if I think about it, every single other solo traveler I've ever met that I've hung out with places I've been have been women. So that I mean, that, that I'm sure that's 100% true. So that's kind of weird that I, I thought that that was, that was shocking. So that's yeah, that I, I don't know, that's just a point of, I guess, personal privilege. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the stats off the bat. I just know we get statistics at every travel conference I go to. And I remember that um, solo female travel has been trending for a couple of years now, but it's definitely been a lot of surveys have been taken and it's just more likely that a woman is likely to travel on her own. And I do think it's because of the nature of it being, you know, promoted as this transformative, empowering experience, which it is through pop culture books like Eat, Pray, Love, like Cheryl Strayed, uh, Wild, things like that. So I think women really see these examples of other characters, you know, taking on the world and they want to do the same. And so it's really been trending up in recent years and I'm happy that that's the case. I think more women should travel solo. I think everybody should travel solo because it's such a unique experience and you're not ever going to regret it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, the biggest thing that the people say to me definitely when I've went places on my own, and I'm sure you've gotten it too. I mean, have you had very many issues with just safety being by yourself? I know I, I mean, I've never had that issue, but I, I just wonder, because obviously different places in, in the world do you know, have different cultural norms. And I think maybe it depends on the person, but it really is not something that for me has ever been a major concern. Like, I mean, I'm aware of it when I go places and I act accordingly, but I feel like that's my everyday go-to because as it is, I live alone, right? Like I don't live in a yeah. household full of people. I go to and from, you know, all the places I go to alone, grocery shopping, coming back at night, things like that, taking myself to the airport. So I as a person who lives by themselves in an apartment, like I'm already used to being alone. I'm used to traversing alone in and around my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So when I go somewhere else, I think a lot of those skill sets 
translate. And I don't know to what extent, you know, other people might be, you know, traveling with others. I don't know to what extent where if you're married, you're constantly moving with other people. But I think if you're okay navigating your immediate surroundings by yourself, then you can really learn to navigate anywhere safely. If you're somebody that's just aware of your, you know, what's around you, if you've done research into the cultural norms, if you know how to dress according to the location, you know, and so like I wouldn't wear overly scandalous clothing in a very conservative country where, you know, that's going to call unwanted attention the same way that if I was in Baltimore city, I wouldn't walk around, you know, where I went to law school, I wouldn't walk around wearing really ostentatious jewelry or, you know, purses or things like that, because, you know, there's, there's crime rates there. Um, so, and not to say anything about Baltimore, but I mean, it's just, I want, I would act accordingly depending on the city I'm in. Same thing in New York city, right? Like I, sometimes every time I go to New York, I make sure I have my purse, um, like inside of my coat, you know, so it's not readily able to be yanked off my shoulder or anything like that. And those are just precautions that I take as somebody who's always grown up in the city. Um, it's just the, and I, and maybe it's cynical for some people, maybe for some people who live a very rural life, that seems like crazy and like crazy precautions. But I think whenever you're somewhere where there's a lot of people, you have to be aware of common crimes and especially how they target guests. So you never want to look like a tourist because then you'll look lost. You'll look like easy prey, you know, so you always want to walk with purpose. You always want to know where you're going before you start walking. So you're not sitting there dangling a map or staring at your phone. You know, you don't want to be walking with headphones on. You want to be very vigilant. But again, these are all things that I have ingrained in me in my everyday activities. So it's no different when I travel abroad. Right. And that's, that's the thing that just never makes sense to me with, with some travelers. I, I feel like when you're somewhere you, you don't know very well and you know, you're, you're, you are a, a tourist and, and don't really know what's going on. That's the time they just, you know, people decide to kind of be careless. And, you know, if, if I'm traveling with people or if I'm traveling solo, I'm not going to, you know, get in t- so intoxicated that I don't know what, you know, I, I don't know my surroundings. Cause that's just, that's silly even at home. So why do you think that that's acceptable somewhere that you, you don't know very well? So it, it's kind of, it's a, it's a strange dynamic that people like completely just lose all their inhibitions and things that they would do at home when they go somewhere else. And I think that there's ways to do it, right? Like there's ways to have fun depending on how you want to, if you wanted to go out at night, because I, I have had that, challenge as a solo female like I want to go out I want to experience the nightlife I don't just want to be limited to traveling during daytime hours so I find um, different like events like I'll do a, a pub crawl or a historical walk or something where I'll have a group of people and we're going to a predetermined number of destinations you know I have people with me I have a way there I have a way back like I have everything already figured out I have a guide um, and I think all of that really helps make it a much better experience. And then if you really want to get intoxicated, I would say, you know, get a hotel room and get, bring a bottle with you and like, you know, like do it in the hotel room at that point, if you really want to celebrate being abroad. But I agree that being out and doing that, I I think just doing something like a walking tour, doing something like a pub crawl where you're already predetermined that you're going to have like three drinks for the night and it's going to be well spaced out over the time that you're there. um, I think it's a really good way to feel like you're partaking in an evening activity and having fun, but doing so in a responsible way. Right. Yeah. My, my big thing when I've traveled is to try to find like a, a pub crawl, a tapas tour or yeah. a ghost tour or something like that to be out at night. Cause it really is easy just to get 
hold up in your hotel once it gets dark. So I, I, I agree with that. And I, I like that for sure. So kind of segue, we're talking about solo travel. I know you've written um, a, a book about that and several other things. So if you would just tell us a little bit about the, the books that, that you've written. Sure. So when I came back from doing all of those trips, um, I ended up writing a book on how to find cheap flights. That was my first book. It's called The Affordable Flight Guide. And it was because I was able to do this all, you know, learn about travel hacking, learn about points and miles, learn about flight alert programs and budget airlines and all the different ways that you could save money. And so I put that onto a book. The book did very well. Uh, and then from there, I wrote two other books in that travel series, essentially tackling the excuses people use to not travel, one on how to travel with a full-time job and another on how to travel solo, the Solo Female Travel Guide, which recently won a um, Silver Reader's Favorite Award. So I'm very Ooh. proud of that. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then most recently I pivoted to um, remote work because a lot of people, I mean, it was going is in the works anyway. In January, I was already working on this book, but then with Corona, it just came out very timely. Um, so my first book in the series is called 25 Ways to Work from Home, but I'm working on a few others on how to turn a blog into a business and self-publish and things of the sort. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that that's kind of a, a good segue to two different things, but I do want to talk about um, your, your budget traveling and your, and you finding good flight deals. So if you would, without, you know, without giving away the book, what's, what's some, you know, top level tips that you, you have for finding good, good flight deals. Cause I'll tell you, that's kind of my, my passion too. I, I think it's fun just to, to, to try to find those deals. Yeah, I think for the average person, the best way to go is just to find a good flight alert program because it can be really complicated and sometimes can be more effort than what it seems worth for people to get to learn points and miles. Um, so I think for those just starting out, somebody who wants something easy, who just wants to see kind of a quick immediate deal, flight alerts are the best way to go. And because there's so many of them now, you know, two dozen or more out there all doing the same model where essentially they have people just scouring the internet, trying to find um, mistake fares, you know, price drops, whatever the case may be, and then sending you a notice when they find that. So I get about a dozen emails a day with different mm -hmm. price drops. You know, today I was considering a $300 round trip fare to Brazil. I was considering, you know, a Chile. I saw one. So I saw a bunch of different offers and then, and there was a $173 flight to Japan a few weeks ago, I posted on Facebook. Um, so um, those are a really good way for just the everyday man to get good flight deals. I think aside from that, budget airlines are also a great way if you're somebody who packs light and doesn't mind doing things piecemeal, you know, bringing your own food on board. Uh, airlines like Norwegian, uh, domestically, you know, Allegiant, Frontier, things like that. They really always have fair deals today. I just saw something where Allegiant send out like $29 one-way fares. Um, and so those are very common if you're somebody with flexible dates. And mm -hmm. then uh, I would also say points and miles. I think if you're really just looking to get an insanely ridiculous deal, like $5 flight to Hawaii kind of thing, um, then that's where points and miles come in. Yeah. So do you have any, any of these, uh, I guess, inbox flight deal services that you recommend? I know I've I do dollar flight club and Scott's and things like that, but, but which ones do you like? 
Yeah, those are both great ones. So Scott's I've been using for the longest and he's probably my favorite. Um, but I do have Dollar Flight Club. I do have uh, Matt's Flight, which is a competitor to Scott's. Um, a bunch of different ones in the space. There's also a few for people who are internationally based. You know, Secret Flying is good. Um, I want that flight.co.au if you're like based in Australia. So there's a bunch of different ones there. Um, What's another one that I was recently getting a bunch of really good Puerto Rico deals from, which actually aren't that easy to find. Um, so I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now. Uh, Flyline. Oh, that's it. That one, I was surprised because they were getting me good Puerto Rico San Juan deals. And normally most of the deals that I'm getting are from hubs that are nearby that I can reach for under 200 round trip, Atlanta, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, but very rare that I'll get deals out of San Juan here on the Island and Flyline has been sending me deals from that. So that has been good as well. Very good. So are, is that where you're based out of Puerto Rico? Yes. I got you. Okay. Very good. So I guess the, the next question within, in that same area is I, I completely agree that the, you know, the whole figuring out miles and, and, you know, some people get involved in all these travel credit cards and sometimes that just gets, too much for the person who's already trying to find, you know, excuses not to travel. So what, what are some of the best deals that you have, have found, um, you know, not, I guess, just in, in finding some of those really cool flight deals that you've actually taken? In award travel or the um, flight alerts? Well, in anything. So just, I, I'm just saying, you know, obviously you, you were talking about, you know, of, $5 deal to Australia, but you used points or, or miles from, from what I understood. So things where you weren't using points and miles that you were just finding good deals. Yeah. So commonly Mexico flights, you know, $200, the Cuba flight I found for $200 round trip. Um, I would say a bunch of domestic flights. So like a um, $70 cross country, you know, to San Francisco trip. Um, $300, I would say for one of the mistake fares to and from Buenos Aires, Argentina, which is usually like at least 700 or more. Um, yeah, a bunch of them. I, I, a bunch, most of the time that's, that's the way that I'll go. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of any one in particular that recently, I mean, I recently did take advantage of one that was like $500 round trip to Cairo, which I'm hoping I'll get to redeem in the early new year, but to be determined. Yeah, um, fingers crossed. Yeah, but that would be the last one that I remember just hopping on the deal because I really wanted to go to Egypt. Yeah. Have you ever, you know, in, in your past travels, did you ever uh, deal with Wow Air? It's no longer around anymore, but they had some crazy deals. And that, that's how I got to Europe for several different times. And did you ever, did you ever fly with Wow? I did. Yes. I was able to get one of their $99 flights to Iceland Whoa. and it was, you know, straight nonstop eight hour flight from Miami, very convenient overnight. Um, so I think, and the flight back was like 150. So altogether, you know, $250 round trip. It was excellent. And that was how I saw Iceland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I did the same type of thing. I, I did $199 round trip to Iceland. I had to fly out of Baltimore back your your stomping grounds i live in indiana so it was an eight hour drive to get to the airport but i couldn't pass up that deal that's yeah. also that's also how i got to several different places in europe you know we'd stop in iceland and then we would we would continue on um yeah right when right when wow was was closing 
I was uh, flying to to Ireland from from Iceland, and they they canceled my my flight home from Chicago, and they landed me in Detroit. So I had to figure out how to go back and get my car in Chicago, and then the very oh, next wow. and then the very next day. They just completely closed, left everybody stranded. So I thought it's kind of a matter of perspective. I thought this is awful. I can't believe they're doing this. But, you know, I was upset about trying to find a way home from Detroit to Chicago. There's some people that are, you know, were stuck in Europe and couldn't find a, you know, a way home. So it was, it was something for sure. Right. That's crazy. No, and I definitely was sad to see WOW Air, you know, go. I'm, I think there's been talks about them being reacquired by a different company or something yeah. of the sort. And I, I hope, yeah, because I think budget airlines have really opened up the world to a lot of people who previously thought that travel and flights were cost prohibitive. Yeah. I, I feel like the, the one that I've, I've had success with since WOW is TAP Air out of Portugal. Yeah. It's relatively cost effective too. Absolutely. And when you get into Spain, Portugal, you have a really good gateway into Africa. You can really go north. You could, it's a good middle ground to get cheap flights then from there on Ryanair or any of the other kind of cheap European airlines that can go within the European Union. Right. Right. So obviously we, we've kind of touched a, a few times, but with, with COVID, how is that affecting your, your travel? I assume it is, it is affecting it as yeah, I think the whole travel industry has definitely been affected. I have been staying local since I am on an island and mm-hmm. I don't want to risk, you know, not being able to get back in. And I've been taking advantage of the time to work on other things. So working on writing more books, working on building, you know, TikTok, which has really taken off this year and has been a surprisingly good source of traffic and, and clients for my business. Um, so I've just been working on other things and really trying to put as much as I can into the initiatives that I wouldn't have had the time to devote myself to fully because I would have been traveling. So trying to make the best out of it and, and yes, and still here on the island. So we've had, you know, strict lockdown, strict quarantine. So I have not been traveling. I have just now started doing some Airbnb stays around the island and I'm hoping to find some unique places to visit and feature. Um, But generally we'll be staying local for a little bit. Yeah. And this question I've been asking a lot of different travelers that I've been speaking with, do you think, you know, these changes were, we're seeing and, and we'll see for a while. Do you think that they're, you know, they're temporary, they're long-term, or maybe even some, some permanent changes? How do you see it affecting the, the travel industry long-term? I think everything's temporary. I think you wait, wait you long enough. You might be the most and, optimistic. <laughs> I mean, I mean, wait long enough and everything changes. That's just the way it is. And things will, I mean, it, it is hard for people to be optimistic right now because everybody's in the middle of it. And so many businesses are struggling to make ends meet and having to close. And I get that. And that is unfortunate, but I believe that anybody who has really a passion for travel, really a passion for the business will find a way to still remain and, and, you know, come back in another form. Like for instance, there was somebody that I know who was laid off of a tourism agency. And then now that person has started freelancing and has been writing for the local newspaper in the town and is starting their own agency. So I really feel that anybody who is into travel enough to make it a business will find a way to do so. Um, And I, you know, I hope that people can continue to bounce back, but I think we are in the thick of it. Yes. And there's a lot happening and there's a lot changing. Um, But I think everything passes time, you know, changes everything. And 
historically speaking, we've had a ton of different pandemics that have all lasted, you know, two to three years or so for most, you know, the worst of it before we even had all of the technology we have today. So I feel like eventually things will normalize and it's just going to be adapting until then. Right. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, overcoming challenges, you know, and, and you are in, in Puerto Rico. So j just, I guess I have a question of is how is, is, you know, Puerto Rico as a whole after Hurricane Maria? I know it was many, you know, several years ago, but I, I have heard that there is still some challenges. Yeah, Puerto Rico has a lot of infrastructure challenges. You know, the electricity grid, the power grid goes out quite frequently. It's old, it's not really updated. Um, mm -hmm. So it doesn't really withstand storms that well. And storms happen frequently here because we're in the middle of the Atlantic and um, or the Caribbean. And there's just, there was earthquakes earlier this year. So there's always a new natural disaster. It's kind of the nature of living on an island. You know, Indonesia had that volcano blowing up last year. Like there's always something, the West Coast is on fire. Um, so the natural disasters are gonna happen. I think there's tornadoes, you know, hurricanes, all kinds of things. And I think the difference is that a lot more places are better equipped to deal with it, have quicker response. You know, here we're so isolated because it's an island that it's difficult to get supplies and it's difficult to get things back on power. And there's, you know, so that is definitely challenging, but there's, we'll just wait to see what happens. And I think people here have adapted, like people have to do, right? So if you know, it's not like for me, I was definitely kicking and screaming the first couple months I was here and just so angry that I can't count on having internet and electricity in the same way that I could if I was living in Florida and thinking, you know, life would be so much easier if I just had constant internet and electricity, like if I didn't have these disruptions to my workday. Um, but then I just decided instead of complaining about it, I'll just try and find ways to minimize the impact. So I'm trying to find, you know, I, I bought a generator and I tried to hook up everything. So I'm have everything ready to go in case I need backup power. And I'm still trying to find kind of a, a more working hotspot because the houses are made with concrete. So it's tough to get signal, but I'm trying to find solutions and be active about it. And I think that that's just the general human process of having to deal with change, right? Like you have to kind of go through the grief process and then like your denial and you're, you get angry and then eventually you reach acceptance and you just, you know, you adapt. And I think that's where we're all trying to get to now. Right. Yeah. And it's all really kind of about perspective and it, whether you're going to, you know, deal with it now or you're just going to stay angry a while and have to deal with it later. So I, I, I like your, your perspective with, with all of that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, another thing I want to touch on, and, and you were mentioning, is remote working. I, I think that, you know, having this conversation even six months ago, it may have been an entirely different conversation, but um, companies are, are really kind of realizing that remote works, remote working works pretty well, given that they've been forced to allow some of their employees uh, to work remotely. But what advice do you have for people who, you know, worked remotely for a few months during COVID, they're back at their office and think, you know what, I'd like to find a, a remote working opportunity and, and do what I was doing for a little while. Yes, I definitely am 
you know, I think that's another silver lining of this year is that we've seen that all these previously rigid work models are not as rigid, that we have really just been relying on a work schedule and a nine to five, you know, lifestyle that came about as a result of the, you know, factories being made and people needing to be productive just to make products. But we have machines to do that now. And we as humans contribute a different element and we need other things to be productive. You know, we need to have a work-life balance. It's become more and more research that's come out and shown that people who are able to balance things are more productive, loyal, you know, just happy employees. And so I think we've just really been holding on to that antiquated structure of what a workday should look like. And I think more and more we're seeing that it used to be that remote work was something that was really only accessible by elite, you know, that kind of executives in their 40s or higher that had reached a certain level of prestige in their job and were now able to be given the like relaxed reins to work from home or set their schedule or have a three day work week kind of thing. And now it's it's really become known that anybody with a computer can do so, you know, at home or in the office and that you probably save money when you don't have all the overhead costs of the office or the distractions of, you know, co-workers in many instances. And I think that that's something that people have to see what's good for them because for some people working at home has been more stressful than working in the office, depending on their surroundings. Again, I've been privileged to have just me. So I really only have to deal with organizing my day, not necessarily anybody else's. Um, and I think that that will vary for people with families, but for young professionals that are single, um, there really is no reason why you shouldn't be able to have the flexibility to be doing your work from home if you're able to. And that applies to all levels of work, you know, from call service centers to um, executive level to creatives. I mean, and you have the option of either taking on a role in a remote capacity for the same way that you have already been doing in an office. You'd just be doing so in a virtual office for a company that allows virtual work. You have the option of freelancing through the various freelancing platforms that are available now. You know, you don't just have Upwork and Fiverr, you have Guru, TopTal, people per hour, you know, tons of different platforms for that. Or you can start your own business online, which is very common. And I just think and I forgot who was that said it, but somebody said, you know, if you can build, I think it maybe was Gary V, but he was like, if you can build a million dollar business with a catalog, like why could you not build a million dollar business with the internet? Like, you know, like every major department store that we know of was built with a catalog. Like you should be able to build a business with the exposure of the internet where you have, you know, millions of clients available at the click of a button. So there really is a lot of opportunity for people to work remotely in any capacity. Yeah, yeah. So what uh, what kind of remote work do you do? I know that uh, yeah, that was something that, that allowed you to, to travel as much as you did. Yes. So when I was doing my year of adventure, I was also teaching English online. Hmm. I would do that in the mornings before work and also while traveling sometimes. And that helped me fund my travels. And that also gave me a remote job that I knew was going to have steady bookings, you know, steady pay every month. And so that was something that I did when I transitioned just to help ease my way in because it has been different to understand that what you make could fluctuate from month to month and it could sometimes be really good months and sometimes it could be, you know, not so good months. Um, so that was something that has been new for me to deal with as an entrepreneur, as somebody who was used to being salaried and you know exactly how much is coming, but mm -hmm. I like it. And it's not, 
bad. It was just something to get accustomed to. So while I had that, um, my crutch was teaching online because I knew I could always have that to count on that. I could always have that as kind of a fallback income. Gotcha. So do you, do you do anything remotely with, with your law degree? I just wonder how that would translate into remote work. You can. So it depends on whoever the person is. I chose not to because I wanted to leave law behind. So right now, the, my main monetization methods include, you know, ad revenue from my website, sponsored posts, books that I do, um, courses, webinars, things of the sort. But I think if somebody wanted to do something with law, there's all kinds of options. You know, late, Jamie Lieberman runs Hashtag Legal, where she started her own virtual law firm. And she's representing bloggers, influencers, content creators, people with online contracts, things like that. And she has a ton of business and a ton of speaking engagements. Um, so there's definitely a way that you can translate your legal expertise online. You can be an attorney that works remotely. You could do doc review if you don't want to do it in an attorney capacity. You can start your own firm online. You can offer, you know, just on a contract consulting basis where you're essentially like freelancing, but you're only taking on set assignments of doing work for people. So you're not stuck to working with them for a period of time. So there's definitely ways that you can translate legal expertise into remote work. Very good. Well, I wanna be uh, you know, aware of your time and, and I, I don't wanna to take too much more of it. So if you would just tell us how we can connect with you, um, you know, how we can find your books. We didn't really talk about your TED Talks, but how we can find those, those TED Talks. And if, if someone's listening and think, you know, I wanna connect more and hear more about uh, Jen, how can they do that? Yeah, well, the talks will have some of the same things that we've talked about here today, Jackson. So the first talk was on traveling solo, and the second one was on um, just kind of making connections with people. And the last one most recently was on working remotely. And that one isn't out yet, but it will be soon. You can Google both of those TED Talks. Otherwise, you can go straight to my website, uh, jenonajetplane.com, like leaving on a jet plane, Jen okay. on a jet plane. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And um, from there, you'll find links to my TED Talks, my books, but you can also find me on Amazon, um, Jen Ruiz, and under social media, the same handle at Jen on a jet plane on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram. I'm all over the place. So happy to connect any way possible. Very good. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for speaking with us, Jen. Thanks for having me, Jackson. Absolutely. And that was my interview with Jen Ruiz. I hope you enjoyed it. Really, really interesting conversation. Really cool person. Hope it inspired a lot of you to travel, whether it's solo, whether it's with friends. Um, do urge you to pick up some of her books on, on Amazon, books on budget traveling, solo female travel, um, working from, from home, just a, a wide variety. Um, really, really nice person. Really, really liked speaking with her. I'm really glad she decided to come on, and I'm really glad that she decided to listen. So I urge you to uh, to continue um, your your travels if that's something you're interested in. If, if traveling is not something you're interested in, I hope that uh, you gain just, just something from her story. Um, so thanks so much for listening this week. Hope to have you back next time, and take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.